Good morning, everyone. I am Mark Myers. I'm one of the elders at Martha Lake Baptist Church. And I have the privilege this morning of reading God's word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 29 through 38. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him, Jesus, about her at once. So he went to her and took her by the hand, and he raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. Then the evening came, after the sun had set, they brought him to all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Hey, good morning, church family. Uh, Man, I miss being with you in person, and as much as I have made fun of Zoom and Facebook Live and all the technology stuff, I am really grateful that it enables us to be able to gather like this, albeit virtually, not in person. I'm still really thankful for it, and uh, if you happen to be new, join us for the first time. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors of Sound City Bible Church, and we have been doing these online gatherings for the last eight weeks in partnership with uh, Martha Lake Baptist Church, who we are uh, in the process of working through merging together as one church family. And so I'm, I'm grateful that we can gather together like this. And for these last eight weeks, we've been addressing a series of topics. Uh, we're going to get back into a book of the Bible very soon, I promise. Just a few more weeks of looking at some of these topics that are related to the current global situation that we find ourselves in. And, and today's topic is living the lifestyle of Jesus. And there's some things that have happened in this last week that I think make it particularly appropriate to really look at the not just the teachings and the truths of Jesus, but the lifestyle of Jesus. And so I want to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me from your homes right now, wherever you may be. Let's go before the Lord and let's see if he wants to do some uh, reorienting of our uh, hearts, our minds, and our lifestyles as we approach some challenging thoughts today. Let's make sure that we understand that he means them for our good. Lord, I pray that you would guide my words. I pray that you would help me to teach what is on my heart uh, with, with boldness, with conviction, with grace. I pray that you would guide my lips and help me to speak only that which is in line with the truth of your word. And God, I pray that each and every single one of us would have an opportunity right now to just look at our lives, the way that we live our lives in, in a new light. In this season, Lord God, would you use it for our good and for your glory? We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. 
I'm hearing a lot of chatter over the last week as some states are relaxing certain restrictions and, and certain countries are moving back to you know, the way things were. I'm hearing a lot of this, this phrase of getting back to normal. The idea of getting back to normal for me has really become kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, there's a normal of spending time with people you love and, and people being able to go to their work and their job and, and contribute to society. And that's good. Like, we want that. That's a good normal. But as I, I thought about it, there are some things in our culture that we consider normal that I don't think we should ever get back to. I don't think Jesus wants us to get back to some things that are normal. You know, the, the idea, our, you know, our culture is, is a mixture. There's good things and there's bad things. So, so I could talk to you about statistics like, you know, the average smartphone user touches their phone more than 2,600 times per day. I could talk to you about the average American worker takes fewer than seven vacation days per year. I could talk to you about anxiety and depression that were already at record levels prior to this recent global catastrophe. One statistic that I stumbled across recently just really captivated my attention is the idea that since the year 2000, the average American's attention span has dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. And just in case you're keeping score at home, the average goldfish has an attention span of 9 seconds. So friends, we as Americans are losing to goldfish. Our culture has set up accomplishment and productivity and work and consumerism as these ultimate goods, this American dream where everybody owns one of everything and works enough hours to accomplish it. Does that sound like Jesus? Does that sound like what he's all about? Does that sound like, now again, I'm not talking about working your job and and being a productive member of society, but like, think about our culture. For those of you who are Bible-believing Christians, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that we're called to be in the world but not of the world? Wouldn't you be willing to look at our world, our culture, and say, yeah, there's probably some things that are off and, and, and need to be reoriented? What if, what if during this season God was giving us an opportunity to reorient our lives in such a way that they matched up more to the lifestyle of Jesus? What if God intended this hardship to be for our good and for our joy and for our long-term holistic well-being in Him? Before this whole crisis really spiked, the Sound City Bible Church staff started reading a book. The book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by an author named John Mark Comer. He's from Portland. Don't hold that against him. I think he's probably a pretty good guy. But this book, this book is challenging. John Fox, our administrative director, he called it a cheese grater against his soul, to which I had to say, man... Me too. <laughs> you, put the, you put better words to it than, than I could have. This, this book, Pastor Kyle brought it to us, and he had been reading it and said it was really challenging him. And so we as a staff had started reading it. And man, we're all starting to get challenged and convicted. And then, boom.
boom, this all hits. And reading this book uh, in this series has been profound. It's been kind of eerie in some ways. But, but ultimately, I think it's been really good. I'll commend this book to you. For any of you today who are, who are um, particularly struck by what I have to share, linked to this book on our website, I'm going to encourage you to make this more than just a one-week sort of a thing. And, and I intend to share some things um, from the Word of God, but you need to understand, yeah, this, this teaching has definitely been influenced by and shaped by the things in this book. Things that have been called to attention for me and maybe for some of you. So I want to talk about this idea of living the lifestyle of Jesus. This is what John Mark Comer says in, in his book early on. He says, we read the stories of Jesus, his joy, his resolute peace through uncertainty, his unanxious presence, his relaxed manner, and how in the moment he was and think, I want that life. We hear his open invite to life to the full and think, sign me up. We hear about his easy yoke and soul-deep rest, and think, God, yes. Heck yes. I need that. But then, we're not willing to adopt his lifestyle. And friends, I'll just say this. One of the risks of being a Bible church, for both Sound City and Martha Lake, we are Bible churches. We love the Word of God. One of the dangers is we can turn following Jesus into an abstract series of beliefs and principles instead of a comprehensive lifestyle. So let me share a few things with you. Three things, really the second point is where I want to drill down, but a few things to consider. The first one is this. The the lifestyle of Jesus was for the mission of Jesus. His lifestyle had a purpose. His lifestyle had a mission. So I'm, I'm trying to anticipate some of the objections that you might have, where some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute, are you, I, I see where you're going with this. You want to talk about like solitude and Sabbath and these spiritual disciplines. And, and Okay, so l- let me tell you, like there is a bigger purpose to all of this. In verse 35, Mark 1, 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he went out, and he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Now, this is one of those practices of solitude. I'm going to come back in a moment, but you need to see this. This is a regular part of Jesus' life. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Bro, where you been? Everyone's been looking for you. And he said to them, Okay, I've prayed. I've been with the Lord, I've been with the Father. Let's go to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So Jesus Jesus said that the reason why he came is to proclaim the kingdom of God. He came to proclaim the kingdom of God. And, and, and don't get the wrong picture. Do not get the picture that Jesus came and he lived this, you know, kind of guru hippie lifestyle where he just drank tea all the time and sat around in the, in the woods considering the birds and all this stuff. But wait a minute, he, he kind of did sometimes, didn't he? Like there's this amazing thing about Jesus where in, you know, like the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, consider the flowers and consider the birds. He's got this, this kind of like peaceful, tranquil side. And then other times he's saying, okay, let's go. If you go back in, in verses 29 through, uh, you know, 34, like we heard in our scripture reading, it says the whole town was at his door and they went to go to Simon Peter's house and his mother-in-law was sick and so he had to heal her and just so he could get some downtime and people are bringing the, the sick and the demon-possessed and 
Jesus is going. Like he's on a mission. He's the Messiah of God. He's the king who has come to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. And the only way that he could do any of that, very early in the morning while it was still dark, he got up and he went out and made his way to a deserted place. See, the lifestyle of Jesus is for the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God. And and the kingdom of God is not just some beliefs that you ascribe to. It's a whole way of life. Think about this. The kingdoms of man have altered our way of life recently, have they not? Earlier today, I went to the grocery store, and in the grocery store, everyone was wearing a mask. Now, in previous months, if I went to the grocery store and someone's wearing a mask, you think, I think I need to get out of here. This place is probably going to get robbed. And yet everywhere I went, people had all sorts of masks, USA flags, camouflage, plain black, plain blue, uh, dinosaurs, turtles, I mean, whatever, like just masks galore. The kingdom of man has altered the way in which we live our lives recently. Do you not think that the kingdom of God has come to alter your life? Do you not think that Jesus, by proclaiming the kingdom, by by dying on the cross in his enthronement ceremony as the king, and by rising again as the victorious conquering king, do you not think that he intends to disrupt your life? Don't you think he wants to make some claims over your life? And, And by the way, this is a little sidebar. The kingdoms of this world are affecting our lives a lot lately, and I I am just seeing a lot of complaining and griping about what the governors and the presidents of the world ought to be doing. And I'll just say three things. Number one, you would not want any of their jobs right now. Put yourself in their shoes. Number two, as Christians, we're called to pray for our leaders, not complain about our leaders. So if you haven't prayed more than you've complained repent and make some changes. And then number three, have you lost sight of the fact that we have a king who is perfectly wise? He knows all the data. He knows all the circumstances. Our earthly kings don't have that. He's perfectly loving. He cares about people more than any governor or president or or health organization leader does. He's perfectly loving and he is perfectly in control. We can't say that about any human leader, but we can say that about our King Jesus. Let's just keep that in mind. End rant, moving on. So, Jesus the King comes to proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just a series of truths to believe, but it affects our lifestyle. I'm going to highlight four things. Jesus wants us to follow his lifestyle. And there's many things I could say. I want to highlight four for you. The first one is this, Scripture. The lifestyle of Jesus is incomprehensible apart from the storyline of Scripture. If you go back to Mark 1, the first verse of Mark 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament. And see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He'll prepare your, your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Look, I'm not here to exegete 
the actual passage in Isaiah right now. What I am trying to say is the life and ministry of Jesus does not make sense apart from the overall storyline of Scripture. And everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said showed that he believed that he was the culmination of the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. And as you turn the page into the New Testament, despite what some Bible teachers out there might try to tell you, you cannot understand what Jesus is all about without the Bible, without the Old Testament. And praise God that we have the apostolic writings. We've got the New Testament. We've got the Gospels to help us make sense of some things and to know how to live our lives in light of the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. But friends, the point is simply this. Jesus was soaked in, steeped in the storyline of the Bible. And I I say storyline on purpose because, yes, the Bible has poems, And yes, the Bible has apocalyptic dreams and visions. And yes, the Bible has letters. And yes, the Bible has laws. But the majority of what the Bible is, is a story. It's a story of God's relationship with mankind in the world that he's created. And Jesus was so deeply immersed in this storyline. It's the storyline that drove his life. And and let me just say this, friends. Some of us are getting immersed in more Netflix these days. Some of us are deeply immersed in the storylines of Amazon Prime and Hulu and YouTube TV. And while I don't think that it is wrong to watch movies or TV, I simply want to put before you, what are the storylines that shape your life? What is the the story? Is it, I mean, for crying out loud, the storyline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is more influential to people in our, in our, that we know, people that I know, than the grandest narrative, the grandest storyline that has ever happened in the history of the world. Friends, the lifestyle of Jesus only made sense in the storyline of the Bible, creation and the fall into sin and and the storyline of Israel and Abraham's family and the Messiah coming and then the the Holy Spirit coming and then the final consummation of the ages. Friends, does your life revolve around the storyline of the NFL draft? Does your life, like, are you oriented by friends or Downton Abbey or... Tiger King? <laughs> Again, don't, don't hear me say that it's a sin to watch a movie or to enjoy a TV show. I'm talking about what shapes you, what defines you, what orients your life. And for many people in our culture, it is, it is entertainment and not scripture. Friends, the lifestyle of Jesus does not make sense apart from an orientation around, around the, the storyline of God. Number two, scripture, number two is solitude. Our, our, our verse, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he, he made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Solitude is really hard to do. 
It's really hard to do in our society and our culture of noise where there's advertisements coming at you a mile a minute, where you have notifications going off in that device in your pocket every 42 seconds. I made that statistic up. It might be faster and more often for some of you where, where there's trains and, and airplanes and cars making constant noise. I've, I've tried to have some mornings where I just sat out in my yard and, and sipped some coffee and read the Bible and my neighbor would fire up his weed whacker at 7.45 in the morning recently, like for crying out loud. It's so hard, which is why it says here, verse 35, it was early in the morning. And there's other places, you know, where, where it says that Jesus did it late at night. He stayed up late after everyone else went to bed. He got up early before everyone else got up and he was alone with his father. Alone with his heavenly father. Now, friends, we can read the Bible. We can pray. We can say the things out loud to God. It says here he was praying. There is something so profound in the simple act of being alone and disconnected. Where you can still yourself. You're not being called upon. You're not checking emails. You're not getting text messages. You're not getting phone calls. You're not having you know, a family member, a kid, or somebody be like, hey, I need you. There is something so profound that we have just got no category for in our culture. And friends, let me, I'll just admit it. I'm as bad as anybody else. When I'm in my car and I'm by myself, I've got a podcast playing. When I'm going for a run and by myself, I'm listening to music. There's, there's things where it's like, I could be alone. I could be one-on-one with the Lord, but instead I'm filling it up with noise and content and news and podcasts and music and all that sort of stuff. And friends, what if Jesus simply was saying, hey, what if you just got alone with God? You stilled yourself before him. And, and even before you're like taking notes and, and and, and, you know, journaling through the scripture before you're bringing all your requests to him. What if you just sat really still for a minute in the dark and in the quiet and you just took some deep breaths and you just meditated on just some aspect of God's culture? Don't, don't think of meditate as a bad word. It's been co-opted by, by folks. The Bible talks about meditating on his law day and night. It's not emptying our minds. It's filling our minds with the truths about who God is. The lifestyle of Jesus regularly involved solitude, which means some silence and some prayer and some time to recognize that we live quorum Deo before the face of God. Number three. I'm just going to keep going. I know there's more that could be said about these. And if anything, man, the Sabbath, holy smokes. Number three, the Sabbath. Mark chapter two, picking it up in verse 23, on the Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. And the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of the day, they said, look, why are they doing what's not allowed on the Sabbath? And and Jesus said, listen, have you not read about King David and those who were with him and when they were in need and hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave some to his companions. What Jesus is saying is, listen guys, you've, you've, you've forgotten the idea of what the Sabbath is for. It's supposed to be a blessing to people and, and you've turned it into this strict set of rules that goes even beyond what the scripture teaches. And then he says these profound words, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, 
not man for the Sabbath. So then, (laughs) he even goes one more, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, this is a whole sermon series that we could teach. But a few thoughts. First of all, the Sabbath is meant to be a gift to people. It's meant to be a blessing to people. It's meant to be a a day of stopping from your regular work and, and resting, intentionally resting. And no, resting does not just mean binge watching an entire season of, you know, whatever show you like. It, it, resting, like intentionally resting and, and replenishing your soul. And then worshiping, it's like, it's, it's, it's like God-oriented. It's all these three factors together. It's stop doing the regular stuff. Do, do the things that are restful and worshipful. And you think about it, Like, our culture is not set up for Sabbath anymore. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, entertainment and purchasing are available to us. I could go anywhere I want at midnight tonight, even in quarantine, I could find a bag of Funyuns if I wanted. I don't like Funyuns, but if I wanted them, I could find them. And I can turn on my TV at three o'clock in the morning and I could find something ESPN the Ocho, you know, underwater basket weaving, manatee racing. I don't know what they're doing these days. I could find something to entertain me and something I could buy. <sighs> yes, I understand that, particularly for those of us who are, under, who are Gentiles, we're not under the, the same uh, covenantal obligations as Jewish people. We don't have to adhere to a strict Friday night to Saturday night Sabbath. I get all of that. But man, it's like in the Ten Commandments. This made the top 10 list of like commands that God said would be for our good and for human flourishing to take a day. And when I say a day, I mean like a day, like a 24 hour period where we cease from our regular labors, we rest and we worship God. And yet some of us find it impossible to stop and to turn it off. If God says this is a gift for us, why is it so hard for us? I think of the, I think of the, the first people to whom this commandment was given, the commandment for Sabbath, the people of Israel, after they'd been freed from slavery in Egypt, where you, as a slave, you never get a day off. You don't take a day off as a slave. And then they, they make it out to the wilderness and God frees them and he provides food for them and then they just can't stop working. When was the last time you went for 24 hours without checking your email, without accomplishing something, without productivity, without doing something, and you just enjoyed the grain that God provides, the friends that God provides, the many good gifts that God gives to us? There's so much more that I could say about this. I want to keep going into the fourth practice. And if you'll allow me, I'll dip over into Matthew chapter 8, the fourth practice of simplicity. In Matthew chapter 8, a scribe comes up to Jesus. Uh, In verse 19, the scribe comes up to him and says, teacher, and a scribe, you got to understand, they're on the upper upper levels of society. More well-to-do, more, you know, upper middle class. He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man, I don't really have anywhere to lay down my head. Now, 
it's easy to exaggerate the poverty of Jesus, and some people do. Jesus had wealthy benefactors, particularly wealthy women who bankrolled his ministry. Judas was a treasurer. You know, they, they were not abject broke, okay, like homeless abject broke. However, there are so many stories like this. You know, Jesus feeding the 5,000. They don't have food to give to the people. Paying the, the, the temple tax, and, and Jesus has to send people to... Uh, his disciples to catch a fish and get a coin out of its mouth to pay. Jesus, he's not rolling large. He's living a life of simplicity. The scribe is saying, man, I want to follow you. And Jesus immediately responds with, yeah, you want to follow me. It's going to mean some times of uncertainty as to where you're going to sleep that night. I had a conversation this last week with uh, Pastor Steve from Martha Lake Baptist Church, and he was ranting a little bit about lawns. If you get the chance, talk with Pastor Steve about lawns. It's, it, you won't forget it. But his basic premise is, you know, this American dream, you, you buy your house in the suburbs and it has this nice lawn. You look at the lawn, you think, I could play in the lawn. I could, I could play horseshoes in this lawn. And my kids could, could run around in this lawn. It'd be this amazing thing. And you buy the house and you move in and then the lawn turns into some sort of wicked taskmaster where weeds grow up from the ground and moss grows up from the ground and patches of the grass die. And so you spray it with weed killer and fertilizer and then all all of a sudden the grass starts to grow and you have to mow it and you have to have a weed whacker and then you don't you don't do that enough and then it gets all thatched and you have to go rent a dethatcher or have somebody come out and do aeration plugs and it just turns into this giant nightmare. It's, it was quite an amazing rant. I, I, I commend Steve's lawn rant to all of you. But listen, the point is, it's not sinful to own a lawn. Joseph of Arimathea owned a, a, a grave in a garden. But you have to count the cost for every single thing like that. If you own a lawn, that is going to take time and money from you. If you own an RV, could be a great thing for recreation and camping and fun and times you know, with people. It's going to take you a lot of time and money. It's going to take you more hours in the office and more time cleaning it and maintenance for it. If you own shirts in your closet... Every single one is going to take water from the washing machine, electricity from the dryer, fabric, softener, and time to fold and hang it up in your closet or whatever you're doing. The point is that Jesus, and really every single author in the scripture warns us of the danger of possessions that the things that we think we own actually own us. And friends, if I could just be a little bit on the nose You and I, all of us, own more than we truly need. The Apostle Paul says, if I've got food and clothing, I can be content with that. And yet, the American dream has has given us this idea that you need to own one of everything. Meanwhile, the book of Acts is painting this portrait where everyone held everything in common. So you don't need to own a pressure washer and a nail gun. You could borrow those from those who have them. And Myung... You could return my pressure washer anytime you want. That'd be great. That's fine. I'm glad that you have it. And Cameron, I will get you back your nail gun very soon, I promise. Friends, there's so much more that could be said about all of these. I wish we had a whole sermon series on these practices, these spiritual disciplines of Jesus, things like simplicity and, and Sabbath and and, and, and solitude and soaking in the scriptures. I wish we could spend more time on these things, but I just want to wrap up by by pointing out 
that is challenging as these things are, they're, they're pretty delightful, right? Like Sabbath should be this great delight. Why would, why would we be, why would we be challenged by the idea of like taking a day off and really truly resting? And, and I guess this question just keeps popping up. Why is it so difficult to live the lifestyle of Jesus? And on the one hand, yes, we can say our society is just not set up for it at all. By and large, the world in which we inhabit is set up for consumerism and workaholism, not simplicity and rest. That's that's fair. But friends, we can't just point the blame out there. We got to look in here. And in our hearts, many of us need to grapple with the idolatry that is within We have believed a lie. We have believed a false promise from a false Savior that if we could just get more and have more and do more, we would find true happiness. And meanwhile, Jesus is offering us the life that we desire and the peace that we need. And we're too busy and we're too hurried to notice it. And friends, I hope that we don't go back to that normal. Let me just say... We can't, here's one other risk. We can't put our hope and our confidence in doing it right this week. Some of you are hearing this and you're convicted. And then for some of you, your response is, all right, that's it. I'm doing it. I'm purging the closet. I'm going all Marie Kondo and everything. If it doesn't give me joy, I'm giving it to the homeless. And I'm going to cancel all my appointments. And I'm canceling my Hulu subscription. I'm getting rid of all of it. Good. Maybe for some of you, yes, follow the spirit of that. But, but don't let your confidence be in yourself. Your confidence can't be in yourself because you've already up to this point failed to live the life style of Jesus, only Jesus did it perfectly. Only Jesus truly lived the lifestyle of Jesus. And even if you could do it perfectly from this day out, which I greatly suspect, you're not, you already have failed and you need forgiveness, which is why the cross is so amazing because Jesus died and paid the penalty for our sinful addiction to consumerism and busyness. And then he rose again to give us new life and to give us the Holy Spirit who can help us day to day learn how to live a little bit more like him. Friends, our hope is in the gospel. Our hope is not in our ability to just live all the spiritual disciplines out perfectly. And by the way, these spiritual disciplines, they're a means, not an end. They're they're what we do to get to the end. The goal, the end, is relationship with God. The goal is not to nail the spiritual disciplines and just got it all figured out. The goal is to walk in close relationship with God. And friends, it's hard. It's hard, but it's worth it. John Mark Comer says, so often we're, we're not willing to adopt his lifestyle, but in Jesus' case, it's worth the cost. In fact, you get back far more than you give up. Yes, there's a cross. There's a death. But it's followed by an empty tomb, a new portal to life. Because in the way of Jesus, death is always followed by a resurrection. And so friends, I urge you to count the cost and to let Jesus disrupt your lifestyle. And as you seek to get, quote, back to normal, 
What kind of normal are you trying to get back to? It's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it for your own sense of inner well-being. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest for your soul, your, your innermost person. It's worth it for your relationships. In his book, John Mark Comer has this little line. It says, hurry is incompatible with love. <sighs> Parents, you know this. Married couples, you know this. Deep, close friends, you know this. That you can't be all hurried and scrambled and frantic and really, truly love somebody. So to live the lifestyle of Jesus is beneficial for ourselves, it's beneficial for our relationships, and it's beneficial for mission. If, if, if what I'm saying is true, we have a whole world that is just dying in addiction to busyness and hurry and anxiety and, and worry and, and stuff. If we really want to be in the world but not of the world, we're going to need to live our lives in a way that is different than the world. And Jesus invites us into that, Jesus forgives us when we fail, and Jesus empowers us to take steps tomorrow to walk more closely with him in his lifestyle. And as we head towards celebrating the table, the the Lord's table now in this season, I want to pray for us. I want to give you an opportunity to really do some business with Jesus about where he wants you to make adjustments in your life. God, right now, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, and God, I, I pray that that conviction would not be the, it would, we wouldn't allow the condemnation of the enemy to come in. We would, we would see your conviction as, as leading us to repentance and leading us to new life and hope and joy in Christ. So help us now to reflect, to ponder, and to pursue you and to see where you want to reorient our lives so that the new normal wouldn't be the normal as culture defines it, but normal as Lord Jesus, you define it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Jason. It's time now for us to transition to our communion time. We've been talking this morning about the importance of shaping our habits and our daily routines to help us focus on Jesus and grow in our walk with Him. And you know the church has been given the gift of the Lord's table to help us collectively focus on Jesus' sacrifice and to uh, express our faith in Him. We set apart time in our worship and we focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus and his sacrifice on our behalf. This celebration, yes, it uses words, but it also uses tactile symbols. As we ingest the bread, we remember the body of Jesus broken for our sins. As we drink of the fruit of the vine, we remember the blood of Jesus, which was spilled to wash away our sins. Let's read now. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread... And drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. 
in just a moment, the music will play and we'll have time to examine our hearts. And in those moments of reflection, we're asking ourselves, am I believing in Jesus as my Savior? Am I trusting that His sacrifice was effective in completely covering my sins? Am I living in faith and thus made right with God by His grace? Do I recognize Jesus' body broken for me? And do I recognize Jesus' blood shed for me? Once you've taken time to reflect and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup and then join back together with us as we sing God's praises. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Jesus, our sacrifice, our Savior. We thank you that he went to the cross where his body was broken, bearing our sins and the punishment that we were due, shedding his blood and with it his life, dying in our place. And Lord, in this moment, we recognize the, this bread rec- representing Jesus' body and this fruit of the vine representing Jesus' blood on our behalf. And we give you praise and thanks and we express our faith until the day you send Christ to return for us. In his name we pray. Amen.